you. Um, so our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 24, verses 4 to 13, and you can find this on page 681 of the Pew Bible. So that's Isaiah chapter 24, beginning at verse 4. The earth dries up and withers, the world languishes and withers, the heavens languish with the earth. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. The new wine dries up, and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The joyful timbrels are stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In, in the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is battered to pieces. So will it be on the earth and among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten, or as when gleanings are left after the great harvest. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Hey, Sam, we're going to um, say this responsibly. So you, I think you got a prayer book when you came in. So if you could turn to page 273 of your prayer books. And it's quite a long one, so um, you, have been, you have been warned. That's a good one. As you can tell, our theme is lament. These are hardcore lamenting scriptures. So I will read the colon on Psalm 69, and then I invite you to join in with the second half of each verse. Save me, O God. I am sinking into miry depths and have no foothold. I am wearied with crying out, my throat is parched. Those who hate me without reason are more in number than the hairs of my head. They bid me give back things that I never took. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O God. It is for you I have suffered reproach. I have become a stranger to my family. Zeal for your house has consumed me. When I afflicted myself with fasting, I put on sackcloth also. I am the talk of those who sit at the gate. But Lord, I make my prayer to you. Accept me now in your great love. Answer me, O God. With your unfailing help. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. 
Do not let the flood engulf me or the deep swallow me up. Or the abyss of death close its mouth upon me. Answer me, Lord, for your love is good. Turn to me in your great compassion. Do not hide your face from your servant. Be swift to answer me, for I am in distress. Come near to me and redeem me. You know my reproach, my shame and humiliation. My enemies are all in your sight. Reproach has broken my heart. And my sickness is past all healing. I looked for compassion, but I received none. For someone to console me, but I found no one. They gave me poison for food. And in my thirst they gave me as for me, I am afflicted and in pain. O oh God, lift me up by your saving power. I will praise your name with a song. And glorify you with thanksgiving. And that will please you more than the offering of an ox. More than a bull with horns and hoofs. Consider this, you that are humble, and be glad. Let your heart rejoice, you that seek after God. For you, O God, listen to the poor. Let the heavens and the earth praise you. The seas and all that moves in them. For you will deliver Jerusalem and rebuild the cities of Judah. And your people shall dwell there and possess it. Your servants' children shall inherit it. And those who love your name shall dwell in it. Glory to the, the Father, Father, and to the, the Son, and, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as it was in the beginning, beginning is, is now, and shall be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Praise Pardon me, this can be found on page 1031. Now there was a Pharisee, a man called Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they were born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. <clears throat> you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise Christ the Word. Please be seated. Thank you, Matthew. Matthew is kindly continuing our series on lament, and he's got some really great things to say. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts, our ears, our minds, and our wills to your word to us through Matthew today. Amen. Thank you, Tim. I'll just have a muck around with the computer. Oh, you will. Thank you. May I have the... Um clicky machine. Good morning everyone, it's very nice to, um, to be with you. Um, as Tim said, he asked me to address the theme of climate lament or lament for the earth um, this morning and if you were here last week you would have heard uh, Tim sort of introduce that, that um, the idea of lament and particularly as it, as it turns up in the Psalms and that, that structure of um, turning, complaining, boldly asking and finally trusting. Um, but I, um, as I read a bunch of psalms of lament um, over the last couple of weeks, sort of preparing for, for this sermon, um, I wondered whether lament was in fact exactly the right category for us to be using to think about um, climate change and, and our response. And um, Tim was very gracious this, this morning at the nine o'clock about letting me go off on a, on a little bit of a different tangent. It might be partly about how I personally bring together the world of the Psalms and the contemporary world as I experience it. Perhaps you, as you um, heard and spoke Psalm 69 today, perhaps particular bits of it really resonated or particularly communicated to you, and I, I, I in no way want to um, sort of put that aside. I want to sort of honour all the emotions that, that that sort of brings up. There are such big emotions in that Psalm and all through the Psalms. It's it. There are so many... Um, it seems every state of mind you can think of is reflected in the, in the Psalms. Yeah, I, I imagine that's part of why they've lasted for um, 3,000 odd years that they have. But as I see the Psalms of Lament, they typically express feelings like this. God, I am being severely oppressed, or we are being severely oppressed. I'm surrounded by wicked enemies, but I am innocent. I am righteous. I don't deserve it. I've stuck to the narrow path. But I'm powerless. Now, God, you need to act as the righteous judge you've said you are. You need to deal with my enemies. Vindicate us for the sake of your own reputation. I ask myself, are we really in that position? Are we, in fact, oppressed? Are we powerless? And are we innocent? I wondered, thinking about those questions, made me wonder whether the category of repentance might be a more straightforwardly fitting sort of biblical category for making sense of the climate situation for us. Thinking of, um, thinking in the very big picture, broad, broad brushstroke sort of way, which I like to do, um, in the biblical narration of reality, right back at the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, you remember God forms humans, forms the human being out of dirt, puts the human into a garden, and the human's job is to till it and to keep it. 
an old-fashioned translation. Or you might say, to be a gardener and a guardian of the garden. If I think about um, our New Zealand garden, historically you might say that we've maybe been good at the gardening, about sort of producing useful things out of it, but not so good at the guarding. Our ancestors seem to be very thorough in clearing away the ancient forests that used to blanket so much of the country. Those forests with all their complexity and richness that we reduced to much simpler systems that support many, many fewer species. And you'll know roughly that since humans arrived in New Zealand, we have uh, managed to wipe out maybe 50 odd species of native bird and there are many, many more that are in a, in a very sort of perilous state presently. So looking at in that sort of broad brush perspective, thinking about what the human task might be with respect to Aotearoa and its uh, land and creatures, I, I think we have to say that we're not necessarily, not straightforwardly innocent. We have perhaps sinned. Repentance might be appropriate. If I think uh, more specifically about um, climate change and emissions, it's also no secret that, that we're not doing that well. Right now, our country is on track to have 20% higher emissions in 2030 than we had in 2005, depending on how you measure it, um, despite our, um, our um, commitment to the, to the Paris Accord. For a multitude of, our, of reasons, our society has just not um, done the costly action that it needs to yet to um, do what we need to do. Um, just to, as, a, as a, quick, a quick aside, as I sort of researched for this um, um, for this sermon, I, I, I came across this, uh, an interesting and, and mind-boggling thing to me. It was about the, the way that the United Kingdom, how their emissions have tracked over time, and they've um, uh, in the last few years they've been sort of trending downwards, and um, but they're interesting. But and, and um, I'm just interested to know, like 2019 the previous time that the emissions um, in the UK were the same as they were in 2019. I wonder if anyone would like to have a wild guess. If you haven't been following my Facebook or seen the, the, the relevant um, headline, could someone shout out what they think the previous time that uh, emissions were at the level they were at in 2019? 1942, earlier than that. A little bit later, 1888. Uh, which I found extraordinary from the sort of the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution that they have really, in a very significant way, turned that ship around. And there's still quite a lot to do, and it's, it's a complex story of, um, of coal phasing out and nuclear and um, more efficient technology and lots of things. But I thought it was an interesting um, bit of context, given our own situation. Anyway, I see that, to my way of thinking, there is some repentance that's necessary, a change of heart. I don't see that we're in an innocent position, as I said. Nor, I think, are we, broadly speaking, oppressed. We're not at the bottom of the heap as far as the world goes. Um, the historian of, of um, global Christianity, Philip Jenkins, who some of you will know of, um, repeatedly makes the point that the Bible in its original context is largely written to poor people, people who understand crop failure, famine, and lives uh, torn apart by war. And you can, you can hear that in, um, for instance, the Isaiah passage today. So following his lead, I, was, uh, I wanted to know how Christians from poorer parts of the world talk about climate change. And uh, in that context, I came across a story from the Philippines about a conference held uh, just at the end of February this year where um, the Catholic Bishop Gerardo Alamanza addressed the conference in this way. He said, we acknowledge that our generation somehow failed in a lot of ways. And we need to really take responsibility as well and really ask for forgiveness, not only from the young generation, 
of the generation yet to come, but also from the rest of God's creation that we have abused. The Philippines is particularly vulnerable to climate change. It's already has lots and lots of cyclones and much of the country is very low-lying and the 104 odd million Filipinos, most of them live on the coasts. Also their, their average income is about one-fifteenth of ours and they're about 86% Christian. So I was interested to hear the Bishop Gerardo um, framing this issue in terms of apology and asking for forgiveness. A little bit like that confession, the little bit of confession in that psalm we read today together. You, God, know my folly or my foolishness. My guilt was not hidden from you. It was also very interesting to me that the bishop didn't stop there. He went on to call on the Filipino government, the Filipino Department of Energy, to stop building coal-fired power stations, on banks to stop funding them, and on his own Catholic church to use its investments to speed up renewable energy projects and get out of coal mines. This seems to me a really biblical pattern. Repentance leading to the works of repentance. A change of heart and taking responsibility for where we have sinned and then concrete acts that demonstrate the change. In our particular context, um, in a few Wednesdays down the track, um, if you're interested, we have Jonathan Boston talking about uh, what kind of policy um, options might be open to New Zealand particularly and what, what we might want to do in that kind of context. As I've said, true repentance needs to lead to action but it should also lead to, I think, renewal and joy and love. And it's, it's on that note, I want to sort of change um, gears a little bit and look at the, the reading from John. Like so much of John's gospel, there are lots of layers in here and, and a sense of inexhaustible depth and mystery, really. Nicodemus, a Jewish leader of the Pharisee party, comes to Jesus secretly at night. He's intrigued by this man who's performing miraculous signs and who seems to have God with him. He wants to understand what it's all about. Jesus answers him with that famous phrase, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I gather there is a deliberate ambiguity in the Greek from John, so that born again could just as easily be born from above. It seems this is a, a kind of brand new life that Jesus is calling people to, a renewed life. When Nicodemus misunderstands, Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Just a couple of chapters earlier, John the Baptist has been baptizing, um, baptizing people, including Jesus, in the Jordan River, the place where Israel first entered the promised land and really became a proper nation. Born of water, this is Jesus forming a new people group around himself. And that born from above or born of the Spirit, this new life or the resurrection life, it's coming straight from God. Jesus goes on to say, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is, of course, referring to that strange episode you might know from the book of Numbers, when the Israelites have escaped Egypt, but not yet entered the promised land. Many of the Israelites were bitten by venomous snakes in the particular episode, and God told Moses to make a bronze snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who looked at the snake would be, uh, would be recovered from the um, poison, would recover from the poison. So how do we get the brand new life from above? John is saying it's by truly seeing Jesus, by properly recognizing him, high and lifted up, both in the sense of lifted up on the cross, but also lifted up as the king of creation. Uh, to me, this is an, another sort of take on repentance, changing one's mind and about uh, changing one's mind about how the world is really working. 
But in this case, it's less motivated by a godly sorrow in that sort of lament mode uh, and more motivated by love, really. The reading ended with, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. At least one New Testament translator um, renders the world, uh, sorry, renders world as cosmos there, which perhaps gives the sense of the whole creation being loved by God and the whole creation being redeemed through the Son of God. I see the invitation here as to join in God's love of this world, to see its good future mysteriously already present in Jesus and to join in his resurrection life and to boldly act sort of out of that vision. I guess um, I want to say that rather, sorry, rather than anchoring our, our feelings of well-being or, or, or despair or how we're feeling about these sort of big things like climate change in the world on the latest headline that we've read or, or the latest stats or things I've shown up on the screen, um, or, for, or perhaps for us it's presently we're, we're monitoring the coronavirus um, headlines and, and, and having our emotions sort of very keyed into that. Instead, I'm, I, I'm saying I think we should tie our sense of well-being to that that vision of a loved and redeemed world that Jesus presents and act faithfully out of that. In that spirit, I want to give you all one small optional option for a work of repentance in this context, in the context of the climate. And uh, hopefully with your pew sheets, you've got, got one of these little um, flyers about the climate fishbowl project. So um, have a little read um, now or um, later, and um, if you have any questions or criticisms or, or feedback, about that, um, see me after the service. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Um, I think that's really good, eh? A work of repentance, a concrete work of repentance that we can undertake together, not to sort of layer on the guilt as well, but out of love, out of love for God's world, the world, the cosmos that God loves so much. Um, so please take that seriously, and we'll be coming back to that over the next few weeks as well. And on the on the sheet, Matthew talks about um, the possibility of taking it broader than just our little community here, but taking it out into the neighbourhood around us, um, helping all of us to think about where we can go deeper in our climate action. just want to turn to your neighbour and share one thing that struck you from Matthew's sermon. And then Claire is going to lead us in our prayers. So just turn to your neighbour, give them one thing that stayed with you, and then we'll pray.